Hello and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. I'm Imjin Watson, Working Inspiration Editor at Campaign. In September, Adband lost its guiding light. Tony Cullingham, the inspirational teacher of the Watford Ad Course, and then later, the leader of PBH's The Barn. Later in this podcast, we'll pay tribute to the great man with some people who knew and loved him dearly. But first, to discuss some industry news, I'm joined by Charlotte Rawlings. Thanks for joining. Hello. Now, since Cannes, we've been reporting that advertising has found its funny side again. Um, this week, it was actually confirmed by a Cantar report that underscored the fact that humour is back. Yeah, I feel like we always say that humour is back. Yeah. We say a lot of things are back. But now Cantar says it's back, so yeah, it's yeah, actually yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Legitimate. yeah, according to Cantar... Um, Humour in advertising is definitely on the rise and Mm. this should mean that Christmas ads should be funnier this year. Um, The report found that 56% of ads in 2023 used humour, which is the majority of ads. Um, And in our news story, we said that this would be the first time since the pandemic that the majority of ads have used humour. This is compared to figures in 2020, which found 44% of ads used humour, falling to 43% in 2021 post-pandemic, and only rising to 45% in 2022. And according to the Kantar report, the highest it's been was 66% in the early 2000s. Mm. So... Y2K? Yeah, but it's kind of weird using like, you know, you can see using humour in ads as sort of test for how the nation's feeling throughout all these years. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? But I feel like... I kind of agree with that. I think it's always nice when you see an ad on TV or listen to an ad on the radio where, like, it actually makes you laugh. Mm. Um, because there are some that are just, like, I don't know, a bit a bit brutal. Maybe if you want that form of escapism. Well, yeah, I think people forget the advertising industry is essentially, like, an entertainment industry. Mm. And I think, obviously, purpose, social purpose is a huge thing and it's very important, but sometimes... Just making people laugh is quite a nice thing to do. Um, so Lynn Deason, head of creative excellence at Kantar, actually said that there was a dip in laughter with brands and they're choosing to go down a more sad, more sentimental and heartfelt route, which, you know, sometimes it's nice, especially around the Christmas season, to go down that route. But it will be interesting to see, like, how many ads choose humour instead of that this year. And with that figure, 56%, it could be that we see the vast majority of ads aren't aren't taking that heartfelt route Mm, it's nice to laugh again (laughs) yeah is there any recently that you've found quite funny i thought paddy power um Mm. the recent one um with peter crouch and abby clancy was hilarious that actually made me laugh out loud Mm. and as the queen of humor i thought you were talking about yourself then no i am talking (laughs) oh you are (laughs) why is that so hard to believe sorry i just Uh, didn't have you down as the queen of humor as the queen of humor sorry i know what's funny and what's not right um and that one you never laugh at my jokes Exactly. Um, but yeah, that did one that did actually make me laugh out yeah. loud. Did you enjoy that one as well? I, I I really liked that one. I thought it was funny what we were saying the other day about like there obviously is the Karen I uh, in it. Yes. <laughs> um about naming your child Karen. And we were wondering whether the more Karen involvement in ads, is there gonna be more complaints? <laughs> I mean, mean, they're asking for it, aren't they? That's quite ironic. Um, But yeah, no, I thought that that bit did make me laugh out loud because I think the insight into that ad was like really good because, you know, that's what is current. That is what is that is what's currently funny, Mm -hmm. especially like on social media as well. And also the Milton Keynes joke was also everyone was spot on. Yeah. 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 Really good. Really good. I really like the BBC's latest one. Um, yeah, that one was that one was a really clever way. I kind of like, wasn't expecting it, and then I was like, "Why are they Why are they looking at BBC News?" And then I was I like, think "Oh, it was like really subtle humor yeah. as well." That's where it was. Like, I think where Paddy Power was like quite like 
in your face like mm. with the jokes whereas like the BBC one was like quite subtle and that also really worked but they both use quite topical references that everyone goes oh like so example the Happy Valley one where they're looking at the computer screen and it's Mark Zuckerberg versus Elon Musk fighting each other <laughs> but it's so spot on and it's everyone's reactions to it yeah. I would have loved to have seen the woman who goes not another one yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if they could have shoehorned that one in no, but that one was maybe for the next next and, one they do and the EastEnders clip where he sees the weather app I think we all did that this morning yeah. And yeah. no we do it every day yeah every day yeah. actually yeah okay and talking about this like move from humor to purpose Unilever has says that it will no longer force fit purpose in every brand yeah so last Thursday Heinz Schumacher and Unilever's new chief executive um set out the FMCG giant's new strategy which is to deliver faster growth and interestingly, he did acknowledge that the company has underperformed in recent years. And obviously, Unilever is one of these pioneers of brand purpose marketing, which was brought to the fore by former, former chief executive Paul Pullman. Um, and during this presentation to shareholders, um, he kind of called on the trend, um, which was quite illuminating. And he admitted that they've been guilty of force-fitting purpose in every brand. But on the other hand, he also claimed um, that when well done with credibility, it can be quite effective. Um, and in the, off the back of the news, I talked to Chris Norman, CEO and founder of The Good Agency, and he really welcomed it. Um, and he basically underscored the fact that far too many brands, um, they claim purpose without any evidence or demonstration of their commitment. Um, and from there, he said Unilever's business as a whole needs to continue to be driven by purposeful ambitions to have a positive impact on society and the environment. But not all of their brands should be purpose driven. It kind of feels like people are realising that, you know, it's good to have a healthy balance because in that Cantar story, um, Lynn Deason said that sadder storylines can be effective but when times are tough, like they are now for many people going through the cost of living crisis, all we really want for Christmas is something uplifting. People want entertaining advertising that makes them feel good. So I think it's all about kind of like being aware of like your surroundings and the current climate and kind of being appropriate with your humour, kind of like time and place. Um uh, it's a tricky job I'm yeah. not gonna lie well yeah sometimes with brands you don't want them to have a bigger message like you just want your loo paper to be loo paper mm-hmm. um, and on that note <laughs> I think it's time to to end the news chat news of the untimely death of Tony Cullingham head of Bartle Bogle Hegarty's London incubator course The Barn and former leader of the Watford advertising course sent shockwaves across the creative industry in September before an outpouring of love ensued as creators thanked him for changing not only the course of their careers but for many the course of their lives Cullingham's impact in the ad industry is unmatched and he is remembered for his off-kilter teaching methods which toughened the skins of many creatives Having led Watford Advertising Course for 30 years, his lasting legacy is a number of former students to have forged notable careers in the industry, including Helen Rhodes, ECD at BBH, Martin Reed, Deputy Head of Creative at MHP Mischief, Tom Weber, Creative Director at Ogilvy, and Dan Scott, Creative of Pablo, who will join me today at BBH's The Barn. We considered getting together at the Yorkshire Grey, the old haunting ground of Watford Ad Courses, but alas, it was a tech-free area. You're all Watford Ad Course alumni. Can you remember when you decided to apply to, to Watford? I'm Martin Reed. Um, I was on the course between uh, 2009 and 2010. Um, I can pinpoint the exact moment because I was sat uh, 
outside a coffee shop near Rathbone Place. Uh, Dave Trot was um, treating me to a coffee. Actually, I, may, I might have bought him his, actually. Um, he gave me five minutes because he came and spoke to where I was working as a graphic designer uh, in Kent House um, for a little agency called Cubo. Um, he came and spoke uh, and really inspired me to... You know, I was on the graphic design side making very mediocre ideas look pretty good <laughs> but I thought actually I could I could I could do that thinking I like the sound of that so I completely switched careers uh, just after I got married actually so I had a very happy father-in-law um, and Dave Trott said do the uh, ad workshop course DNAD six weeks and get on the what for course so um, yeah I, I followed his advice uh, my name's Dan Scott so I'll just introduce myself so everyone knows my voice basically I wanted to apply um, I think it was in my second year actually uh, there was uh, someone who came in who was aiming to get into Watford, a guy called Jolyon White, and uh, I was at the back of the class. He was he was lecturing. He was he was telling about talking about advertising to a group um, of final. Well, I think second years. This is when I was in my first year, and uh, I overheard it. And at the time, right, um, I think with ad with graphic design, you'd spend hours just trying to pick out the right color and typeface, and that kind of drove me insane a bit. And then this, you know, he walked in and said, oh, there's this thing called advertising where you can come up with ideas and scrub them on a piece of paper and stick it on the wall. And I thought that was magical. So he started talking about that and then he led on to about applying for this course called Watford. And it just blew me away um, about scamping and just energy and passion and pushing your thinking. And and so I became obsessed with it. And uh, I, I kind of put graphic design at the back of my mind and just started scamping and putting things on walls. Um, which was kind of the um, wrong time because I went to Germany for a year to do a graphic design on the, on the uh, Erasmus. Mm. So I was in, I was, I was acting in a different way amongst German graphic designers, but doing it in a very raw, gritty thing. Because all I cared about was the idea at the time. And then, uh, yeah, after that, I was just like 100% focused on getting to that. And I started doing one-minute briefs and building up and just constantly covering paper because that's what. Um, kind of the pure foundation of what it is about is, is covering paper, energy and passion. Hi, I'm Tom Webber. I did Watford 2007-2008. I had just finished art degree at Goldsmiths, Fine Art, and I, I didn't get on well there. Uh, my tutors, they kept saying, this work is too literal, it answers itself, it's leaving nothing to us. Um, I think they suggested advertising. <laughs> um, and... Uh, I found out about the course and I did the test and I loved that and it was problem solving and I sort of think that's what I had been doing with my fine art degree but had, had got nowhere and advertising was the, um, the solution for me. Hello, I'm Helen Rhodes, the oldest of the group today so I think my time at Watford stretches the furthest back. I was um, year 2001 to 2002 and I heard about Watford, um, well, I, I, well, I'd been working as a secretary, that's sort of how long, you don't even call them secretaries now, do you? I suppose I was a PA at the time. Um, but yeah, just temping after university. And I thought, oh, advertising, that seems like a interesting career. I'd done um, one of those interesting degrees that are a mixture of two subjects that was like art and media. Uh, so advertising seemed like a, a good mix of those. And 
I went through the the yellow pages for all the advertising agencies and called them all up and then actually came into BBH. They said, oh, come in for a week's work experience. And then that was where I found out there was such a thing as being a creative where you came up with the ideas for the ads and I thought, God, you never thought that career existed. And then everyone... All the creatives said the thing you need to do is Watford. The course you need to do is Watford. Like it was, there was there was no other course. It was Watford, and Tony's reputation preceded him. You know, everyone sort of talked about this tutor and how sort of hard he was on everyone and how intense the course was. But it was that was the only one to do. Um, and then when I got, you know, I applied and I got the copy test. That was when I was like, this is amazing because it's such a mm. lateral, bonkers questions that you know you'd never. All your sort of, um, you know, like school and learning years before you, it was all quite literal and and much more serious. And then this this thing was just crazy. So I think then it was like, yeah, this is definitely something I want to do. Can you tell more about the copy test then? Because that's something I was seeing a lot of people write about um, after Tony died, and it sounded quite interesting. What was? Yeah, I mean, I think it was just, it was it was these 10 questions and he changed it every year. So yeah, it'd be good to hear from the other guys what, what were the questions that they were, they were, they were asked. Um, but it was, yeah, you literally got sent a sheet of paper with these, these 10 questions that you had to answer. And I think, you know, Tony was testing lots of things like your ability to think, you know, he, he didn't, he wasn't looking for people who could already write ads. He was just looking for something like that you think differently. Um, and you're able to, you know, come up with ideas and you don't take yourself too seriously and you're just covering paper. And I think it was also like the amount that you sent in as well as what was actually on that paper. Mm. Um, but some of the questions I had were describe as many uses for a piece of coal as you can or uh, create an advertising campaign selling Nike trainers to OAPs. Mm-hmm. What were some of the things you guys had? Yeah, I, I was going to say I echo that excitement of when you sit down and you think someone's legitimately asking me to come up with crazy lateral thoughts that are you know still logically linked, but to some of these questions that and that I'm going to be taken seriously. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, some of the questions we were asked: I love my cat, make me want to eat it. <laughs> that was, was number one actually. I've got the list here. <laughs> <laughs> that would turn um, a lot of people away. <laughs> I know. I thought, yeah, go involved, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think I devised a sort of a menu based on lots of different cat varieties, cat breeds, and sort of work right. them into the, you know, the heritage of this particular breed is this, you know, flavour. Um, but yeah, all sorts of things. Um, devised a campaign with executions to, prom- to promote Davina McCall as the next prime minister. So that ages it slightly. Easy one. Um, that. Uh, <laughs> You know, how would Van Gogh sell Dell computers? So very, very interesting. But I think one of them was just who, what, where, why, and when. You know, it was, so <laughs> What was the nostril one? There was a nostril um, one. Was it it was like, a third nostril. Yeah. What would you do with a third nostril? nostril? Oh, my God. Well, encourage me to want to have one, I think, or something. Oh, like yeah, that. yeah, so, that's it. But I think, you know, when I got to know Tony later on, we talked about that test. One, one of the key things he's looking for is definitely that, that sort of, covering paper you know i think people used to, i don't know if it's true they, they used to say he'd weigh people measure it with his thumb yeah yeah it sort of looked like yeah he measured with the thumb measurement yeah the, the, <laughs> up to the you know he'd get his yeah. thumb and just go right because it goes up to my thumb he talked about so um kev masters who who works here is a creative director here um 
Tony always talks about him because he, he always remembers his copy test application because it was the biggest. Like it was just huge, and I think he bound it and bound yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it was that just that sheer amount of paper that you covered to show that you were just constantly thinking of ideas. Yeah, that that hunger, that even if they're just you know the wackiest thoughts that aren't massively linked, it's you know mm-hmm. showing that energy. And I think yeah, when I got so when I got to know Tony later, he basically said he wanted to see an individual come through the answers it not be feel sort of copycat or stolen or you know familiar he wanted to see an individual's personality come out through through those answers yeah that's that's exactly it there's no right and wrong to these answers it's it's kind of um no fear i mean it, it, he's, he's asking you to be silly as well i think sometimes people i think sometimes you know he said there's a difference between intelligence and smart and I think what Tony would like to do, I think, is like breaking intellectuals in a way and just be open and be silly and daft and and be no and have no fear, really. Just express yourself in any shape or form with the answers. That's the thing that people need to realise is there's actually no right and wrong to them. You know, thinking there's a right and wrong is where you're going to get yourself trapped in those in those questions. But yeah, I, I remember just scamping all the answers out. I think one of the questions was um, if Simon Gell, what T-shirts would be worn at Simon Kill's funeral? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> and I remember doing designing a T-shirt. With, well, to be honest, it was pretty... I didn't realise how it went, came across, but I had, like, one direction on a black top and, like, an arrow pointing down. Um, and then I, I went out in it at a student union and everyone thought it was a different message. They thought it was something else. It wasn't. To do, they didn't think it was to do. You got with, a lot of attention. Yeah, for the wrong reasons. <laughs> um, so it turned out. So, but the point was that it was just a silly idea. It was. It was just. It, he wants people to be silly and daft and express themselves. You know, sometimes we'd go like, um, um, "I'd rather you. I'd rather you be." Um, silly than than boring. You know, mm-hmm. if you're getting to a boring solution. Or like something dry, just just be daft, just be ridiculous um, about it, and I think that's what he kind of wanted to see in those answers, really, in a way. That's why he gave you such unanswerable questions, you know, of what, who, went, when, what happened to why, you know. I'm that. intrigued by the third nostril. I'm going to be thinking <laughs> about that later. Exactly, exactly. But he, I guess he he was also never scared to say that's boring, that's dull, that's been done before, and that's something we heard a lot. <laughs> exactly. He never wants to. He doesn't want you to deter, deter you from thinking, because by not going through all that and, and not being scared to do a few dull ads or a few irrelevant ads or whatever, you are like pushing through those boundaries, and that's what he kind of wants. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's another thing that we'll probably talk later on for this podcast is is endurance and just being able to keep churning out stuff, mm-hmm. because the problem, the thing about advertising, people seem to forget when you get frustrated at work is uh, part of it is seeing babies die and not babies literally dying, I mean, ideas dying. Oh, sorry. And <laughs> dealing, with, um, dealing with feedback every day. And that's what he put you through because every day you're, you're seeing your work get criticized, destroyed, ripped apart. And that's the part of it is that mm, sort of level. your skin. Yeah, taking it. And that's how the course was built. That's why he was so harsh because yeah, it's not, it's not rainbows and kittens in, in advertising. The Watford course and it's also the barn, um, it was a short amount of time compared to a lot of other courses. So you had nine months, whereas there was some other courses like Bucks and, and various other universities where it would be three years. So, it's you know, it was, it was all supposed to be very intense and vocational because his whole aim was to everyone to get hired at the end of it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just 
all that work was squeezed into a short amount of time because you wanted people to be hireable. And I think it wasn't also just about getting a job. It was about having a long career in advertising, successful career. Mm. So I think building up that resilience because you need it in this industry, you know, it's just all those great foundations. Yeah, I think because it was a post-grad as well, some people were coming with some educational experience or they're a little, you know, they'd lived a little bit or they had, you know, all sorts of backgrounds, you know, I think came on and he, did, he really just judged people by that, initially that submission to the creative test. But mm -hmm. I was going to say that the next step was you were invited in, weren't you, for uh, an interview and then we Yeah, got, after we the got, copy test, yeah. Uh, and then we got given a test on the day and I think right. we got about 30 minutes to answer it he didn't he didn't actually respond or give me any feedback to the create the coffee test answers it was like right move on yeah. <laughs> um but I, I recall this is I just said this really sums him up for me was um we were I think there was about six of us all sort of you know looking each other in the eyes competition um he told us a bit about the course and this was when he was really sort of you know stony faced very sort of you know very dry in his delivery and it all you know felt quite serious um and then um he gave us uh, we got we broke for lunch and he said here's your test i want you to write a, um, a two-minute speech on one of these famous people he'd written on the board and um from what i can remember uh steve mcqueen the um actor was on there um i chose david shrigley and um during lunch break i i sort of looked up some of his illustrations and then i quickly got a pen and sort of copied them so i said you know pretending that they were his oh i've got mm. i've got some david shrigley's in my bag and that was part of my mm. you know um uh, sort of talk if you like so mm -hmm. and what he was really looking forward to people to re again reveal something about themselves show that they don't take themselves too seriously or how are you going to do this differently differently mm. um, but most people just read out a wikipedia entry um so after that he was you, know, you could see he was really pissed off mm. <laughs> yeah he's breaking the fourth um, wall because he uh, i think he meant there was some, one student that uh, one thing i got through the email feed and what tony taught me gmail just want to advertise that <laughs> uh that uh it, yeah steve mcqueen was one and uh, they all kind of did a whole boring speech about it so he literally jumped up on the table and started revving revving an engine and then he just looked at them and said that's my that's that's my uh steve mcqueen speech <laughs> it's breaking the fourth ball i think it's yeah. just kind of being like you know, the there's a reason room. they say think outside the box right mm. you know you write a speech oh it has to be a load of words it doesn't have to be like like you said yeah. Yeah. like you said you you did a load of drawings and took them yeah. out your bag and that was very different that broke the fourth wall you, and it's a shame that those people were <laughs> It, it's a, it's a, I think it was all a bit about like breaking you down to build you up again, like to the way you thought about things. So I think all the time you're at school, you're trying to like answer answer it with the right answer, you know, questions and trying to be, yeah, you know, there's there's exactly. a right or a wrong. And yeah. I think with this, there isn't. And I think like Tony was always about, would much rather, like would you always encourage thinking differently and being different and being fresh? Like he wanted you to... Um, look at all the old ads and know what's come before so that you don't recreate it so then you can push to do something something different and um he would much rather you were different and wrong than familiar and right and i think that's you know really true because in advertising you want to be memorable like you can list off the product benefits of a brand or a client or you know a product but it's vanilla and it's wallpaper, whereas if you just do something that stands out and it might divide people, but at least you'll be memorable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, like, yeah, that's that's a great example we were talking earlier is that be um, 
rather be funny and was it was you say silly and wrong? Yeah, different and different and wrong, wrong than than be right and boring. It's because, you know, they always say this is the Oxbridge of advertising, but it's not exactly Oxbridge, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oxbridge, you go in and you're like, oh, what's the equation of this? And mm. it's, no, it's, it's, it's the no, it's the opposite. Because he played different roles throughout the year, right? Like he would sort of play, bring out different versions of himself. What, what was yeah, that? because, uh, you know, he got a scholarship at RADA. Right. So I like to think that he <laughs> liked to put on a performance in front of his mm. students. He was an act, he, he, he secretly... A ve- he could have been a very, he could have been a gr- really good actor. I don't know where he would have went being an actor because <laughs> when I told my missus that he got a scholarship at Rada, she was like, "What?" Because my <laughs> missus did musical theatre and she was like, "Rada's like one of the best drama schools in the world," and I thought it was a joke at first because you know Tony's loves making jokes and everything. And no, he got a scholarship at Rada, and I like to think that what makes him his teaching so special is he was able to put on that performance. You see, like you, we could we could talk on this podcast about revealing secrets about the course and that, but no one could teach like he can teach, and I think that's the magic of it. Because anyone could try and replicate what Watford have Watford teaches, but no one could teach like Tony can, and that's part of the performance of how we put across the people mm. in the way that you know he he sat in a cemetery for um, a, a thing uh, all night to perform as a role as a corpse in a theatre production. You know, I think something like that. One of oh, his. I can see how we got into Rada. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we played East End Gangster, I think, with um, with his audition at Rada. Um, It'd be great if anyone's filmed. Did you Shakespeare's stuff. an East End Gangster, wasn't that? It, yeah, I'm not sure. I, it's, on, Greek, it's on the shots. Some... It's on that shots article, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but I think I like to think that he put on a performance, and that I think only he could do that. I don't think other teachers can embody that. So I reckon, I reckon he had a script somewhere and he would read mm. it before he went into the room. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Checked his lines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's I'm going to be really horrible. <laughs> really horrible um, today. <laughs> One thing I read about um, from Tributes was he was particularly good at pairing people up. You, he paired, did he pair you up, Helen? No, no. he actually <laughs> tried to split me and my, my old partner up. But yeah, I think it was all just Tony, like, it was all about questioning and, you know, he want. I mean, I, the pairing up thing was terrifying. I mean, all of it was terrifying. Now, now I'm sort of thinking about it, but it was also just an experience that you would never forget. And I think that's why all the Watford courses and students and people like where there's all the reunions and stuff, and why they're all so close because it is such an it was such an unusual experience that is unique and that you share together and that is really bonding. So the course started in September. But then it was like you all had, so you all worked with different people, lots of one hour briefs where you teamed up with a different person to, you know, do Miracle Grow or Pet Vitamins or whatever each, it might be. Each hour brief was a different yeah, part and so you'd you, swap it around. So you got used to working with everyone and get an idea of who you work better with and things like that. But then it was like before Christmas, you all had to team up and get a book together before Christmas. So it was like, that moment where you have to ask people to be like, will you go out with me? Will you be my yeah. partner? <laughs> and you didn't want to be the one. We actually were an odd number that year as well. So it was like, ah, I don't want to be the one left on my own. Um, and me and my old partner, Matt Lever, were uh, the first team to team up, actually, and the only team to stay together throughout the course because, you know, a lot teamed up and it didn't quite work out and then they'd team up with someone else. And I think just because we had been the first to team up and hadn't, split up I think Tony was almost like questioning like mm. is this right like that like Seems should too you good be, to be true yeah, yeah exactly um but we were a team for 14 years so yeah. um worked out all right 
I recall he was really good at splitting teams up. Oh, really? But I think the, then the motive was you're going to be with a better person mm. or, or a more appropriate person. How would you go about splitting? What was his I think he'd just sort of um, sow some seeds and say, um, <laughs> so and so is working on their own. Why don't you go, yeah. why don't you go and work, work with them for an hour? And then, and then a whole new relationship could blossom. Yeah, he tried to part me up because when I was on my course, I was the craziest person. What he would say is like, you know, two sides of the brain. You've got the logical side and then you've got the, I guess, the crazy side. Either way, you know, the mad side. And there was someone on our course that was like the most logical thinker. And then I was the, the nut job thinker. And he tried to pair me up with the person who was a logical thinker because he kind of saw the left side and right side brain thing. But that didn't really work out. But I think, yeah, I, I find like t teams are, for me, teams is the most difficult thing in advertising. Mm. I, I don't actually think it's, a, it's not the work that's difficult, it's, it's getting, finding a partner that's difficult. Mm. So you've got to imagine on this course, you've only got, like on my year, it was because uh, I was, I'm just going to say my year actually, because I know everyone else did, I was uh, 2015, 16. There was only uh, 16 people in the year and I believe the years got smaller over the mm -hmm. course of the Watford, over Watford. I, I don't know how many people were in your year, Helen. There was, I think it was about like 27 or yeah. 29. So I was 16 yeah. people. So everyone's going, oh my God, we've got to get someone. Got so we're all running around like headless chickens trying to grab the first person. And obviously, logically, the, the people that, the, the two people that did really well in one campaign of the week each would partner up together as a team. Because I'd be like, oh, we're the super team. But things would change over the course, you know, over where you would go and what briefs would set. And then, but. I think with Tony's methods, he I think he'd always kind of look of it, look at teams a bit like he'd show films like uh, was it Midnight Cowboy where you have Dustin Hoffman and who's the guy who played the cowboy in it? No one, the actor. I can picture him. Picture him, yeah. <laughs> he'd he'd use examples like that, like that or Lauren Hardy, mm. famous duos, and he would always go, "Could you see how they work together because they're so different?" And I think that's how he would look around teams is looking for two people that were completely different because he didn't really want me to be in a team with my partner, like Bex, who was from Watford. He was a year below me. Um, he, she, we, he thought we were both too crazy to be a team. But I think also Tony would always use these wonderful film examples to find what he'd believe the mm -hmm. perfect team would be. Yeah, I, th I think the phrase was, if two of you are thinking the same, then one of you is redundant. Exactly. Right. Um, and I think that was echoed. You talked about how Tony changed. So he was this scary up till up to Christmas almost, really. You know, a lot of and and I've heard speaking to other other alumni that um, some people didn't return in January. You know, it was really literally like I can't hack this, <laughs> um, which was a shame because that's almost when it really you really started to you know you, you'd grown you know. <laughs> you've grown quite a thick skin but also mentally I remember parts of my I had headaches in parts of my head I'd never had before because I was forced to think in so so many different ways I was literally working a muscle you know I think we all were um, but that, I think I always remember at the sort of January time was like okay now we go see Dave Trot, mm -hmm. and then that was the that was the hardest I would say you know moment and almost a bit where Tony would take a step back the the bad cop would step back and the the nurturing side came in mm -hmm. um, and then as as we began to move out of you know the the Watford classroom and into agencies um, you know when we were doing books in a week and, and they were hosting us that's when Tony started to sort of nurture us a little bit more because the the tougher feedback was coming from you know other creative directors ECDs out there yeah that's the second term so I mean even the basis of thinking changes mm. first term it's more basic um, set your brief set your message you'd have it all there on the plate for you 
while as the thinking evolved, you'd always you'd start exp- you'd give you harder brands. There won't be fish fingers anymore. There'll be cars. Or <laughs> I I loathe bread. I actually despise bread as a brief. But much harder things where you'd have to search for the message or benefits. So the fi- the briefs would evolve as well. And then yeah, you second term after Christmas it would be the agencies and. I mean, I mean, it, it's it's daunting, but it's also exciting. I think that was kind of a, a a sweet shot. Being on that course was being able to go to those agency, each agency for a week. You wouldn't get that on other courses. I think it was like, you know, you'd go through all this pain. Um, I mean, obviously you'd enjoy it because that's why you want to go to Watford to to be through those, go through those drills. But then you go through all this, and you get the, the opportunity to do a week at each agency, which I think's. Is that because of his partnerships with with the agency? Yeah, it's a alumni network as well, mm-hmm. isn't it? Um, it kind of grows. I, mean, I guess that's how it was formed. Yeah, we were ex Watford yeah. students. Mm-hmm. I think like that first section, the first term, like the boot camp phase, it was because none of us had any experience of writing ads. And I think like if you just talk to people on the street, what what writing an ad is or what making an ad is they think it's puns or jingles you know like even though most ads aren't you just sort of think that and I think when I turned up at Watford I didn't have a clue so that first term is all about drumming into you like how to come up with an idea it's all about ideas and I think that's also why Watford was the best course because it was so based in the idea obviously like the craft is so important and you know bring it to life with beautiful art direction and copywriting but it's but, you know, first and foremost, there's got to be a great idea there. And I think that first term was just all about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once, you know, we had an idea of how you could come up with a good idea, then you got to go to the other agencies and have bringing up lots of other people's opinions. Exactly. I think that's something we need. To, I think, to personally, I think the the most important thing is the idea. I know at BBH, as, as Hegarty would put it, it's 80% idea, 80% execution. I don't I agree with that. I think that's absolutely fair to say. But what I will say is that uh, you can only get good craft if you have, if you till you've got a good idea first. Because it'll be easy, if you have a good idea, it'll be easier to get the craft and the and the copy to write to. Mm-hmm. If you have a bad idea, you don't know what you're writing or art directing to. So, in my opinion, forefront most is, is the idea, mm-hmm. because it leads on to the craft. Um, so, I guess that's why that course, like as as Helen puts it, why the idea is so important. It follows on to being able to craft the writing and craft the art direction around it or for the message you're talking about. You know, it's kind of weird things I've seen where I've sourced some stuff for um, God. There were some old ads like drive the car down the people that hated you. You heard that ad? campaign his student did uh, yeah yeah it's like drive down the road that people um that didn't think you'd make it and it was it, it was for this like fancy car and the art direction and the writing was amazing it was just this sort of attitudinal way of going oh look what i've got or it was kind of more of a hateful speech about people kind of criticizing you or what you couldn't make it but and then the cart direction was kind of scratched it had almost this like punchy sort of way but that all came down to the idea I think that's important why Watford stands strong with that. I mean, but yeah, I'll stop rambling. Apologies. In in that in that second term when we started going to agencies, I, I kind of I guess it reflected on Tony. You know, he was showing off his students to these agencies, so there was probably some pressure on him then. Mm-hmm. You know, because in the years that have passed, when when he's bought the course to come for crits with me and my partner, um, he's. You know, he's 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 often said, I don't think they're quite ready. Or, and he said, maybe, can you be harsh on them because they need to kick up the ass? And so, you know, now I now I know he would have done that back in the late 
um, uh, early 2000s with us. He would have said, um, told people to be harsh on us, be nice to us, or because he did really care. I think that's also really interesting. Like, and everyone who went to Watford and then after leaving Watford, like the evolution of your relationship with Tony is re- really interesting because. There's obviously your time when you're a student at Watford, but then when you leave and you get a job and then Tony's bringing his students to you, um, I think, yeah, it's just the the relationship kind of changes. And I think also that thing that Tony said, which is absolutely true, is once a student of his, always a student of his. So, like, your relationship, it would sort of evolve. I mean, you also, whenever you, you saw him, you'd still revert to that student again, like even, you know, when he was in the barn and I sort of saw him every day, you'd still... You know, because I think it is such a, a formative experience. But, you know, throughout, you, you know, he'd keep in touch with all his students. And when people wanted to move jobs, you know, they'd always talk to Tony. And, you know, he'd also speak to then other teams and be like, oh, you know, recommend people. And I just think he also just had a knack of sort of popping up when you'd least expect it or when you needed it. Like, I remember uh, when... I, I was working out in America, I was at Wyden Kennedy in Portland and I was, BBC Creative got in touch about the job there and they flew me over for an interview and I just had a baby at the time so I was sort of thinking oh, I've got to get there early because I've got a breast pump, I've got a pump at the agency and I was like trying to like work everything out, I was like you know sort of just got off a flight and I got to the to BBC Creative in, in White City and then I saw Tony <laughs> outside a coffee shop with like all of all of his students and yeah I sort of feel like yeah you know, he was there basically taking them there to feels like to a sign <laughs> yeah it was, it was really strange anyway and then I sort of gave him a big hug and he like whispered to me oh don't worry I'll put in a good word for you um <laughs> and you, you got, the and job. I got the job so I mean was it me or was it Tony we'll never know he's probably like London's most successful headhunter but he just <laughs> never got the, the fees yeah. along with that exactly so we found out he's been a headhunter he was in RADA but I also found out today that he actually started in advertising so why do you think he went to teaching from there he didn't like clients <laughs> <laughs> he used to moan about some clients to me actually he studied at Watford he went to Watford originally he studied at Watford yeah so he went to that. Watford obviously um, he didn't teach himself there was yeah. a different tutor <laughs> at the time and then worked in advertising worked at Saatchi and Saatchi worked at a few agencies and then I think he saw like there was an advertisement for the next tutor of Watford and um I guess, it, I don't know, I'd guess that he just, I mean, it obviously was a calling because he was so good at it. And um, I think it's probably much more rewarding to to teach other people and see their, you know, see their progression and help them get other jobs and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know, you know, it's quite a selfless thing, I think, because obviously the world of advertising, you can earn quite a lot of money, much more than teaching um but i guess it was something that he found really rewarding and and in, enjoyed to do i think it's what we discussed before this podcast started because i think we had a few things we can add on here where we said that i think the discussion was that i think it's more yeah like like helen's put it it's more rewarding to see um students or people real people make it in industry than it is to release a, a a, a poster ad and, and not know where it is in London. Oh, it's in that one poster site down the road. Have you seen it? I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not 
criticizing advertising obviously because that's what we're all striving for but i think this is really rewarding of seeing people develop and succeed in big agencies it's i mean I get there's a, yeah it's human and it, it, it yeah it, it just feels it feels quite powerful to have to see that more so than any work and then those students end up making work so there's almost like a domino mm. effect isn't there because all the work you see in dad annuals i can only imagine him looking through a few ads or you've seen all the John Lewis ads because a lot of John Lewis ads were done by Watford teams mm. um, and seeing those and go I was part of that mm. you know built up to that it's a domino effect but it's far more powerful than um, just um, writing a social post you know yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that's all advertising social <laughs> posts but I, I don't think we'd have the meerkats without Tony mm. for example you know <laughs> it'd be um, good to see everything that he has as he didn't like puns, he wouldn't though. get credited in any of it <laughs> Mm. there's no credit for Tony but it would be good to actually just put out all the work that he influenced there was discussions about um, of, of of removing uh, as to for uh, we had there was a, a while back when I was talking to Tony about promoting the Watford course of removing all the ads that were directly involved by Watford students from the DAD annual so the next DAD annual just remove every single ad that the Watford team was involved in mm. and then see the effect then um, but yeah, but I think he also got as excited for um, whatever creative careers some of the students went into. So he talked just as fondly about one of our one of our um, peers, I guess, um, wrote uh, a speech for an American president, for example, wow. or you know, uh, were stand-up comedians, mm. or you know, opened started charities, for example. There was, uh, you know, he was happy to see you know, those side hustles really flourish and was all about the making on the course as well. So that following through. So, you know, we're we're in the barn room at the minute, surrounded by all, all sorts of projects that have been built and, you know, made and uh, and actually, you know, probably even PR'd to a degree. He always encourages students to get out there, show yourself and, mm. you know, um, there's plenty of stories in here of <laughs> those side hustles. So. Because, yeah, we, we, we thought about the orchard degree, but it actually feels very apt to be in the barn right now. It's a lot more pure. Yeah, which is, you can see a sort of lasting imprint on it where everything's left as it was. But, Helen, obviously you guys are all Watford alumni, but you worked with them later with the barn. Can you just talk a bit about that experience? Yeah, I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess suppose following on from what, you know, you're sort of saying about why did he, you know, instead of carrying on his career in advertising, you know, take the job of being a tutor at Watford. I think I, I would have loved to have actually asked him that and seen seen what, what he'd have said. But I think he also then when obviously Watford chat and then I talked to him about um, starting something at BBH because um, the balm previously had just been like a... a, a traditional sort of placement scheme where teams came in you know, once they'd obviously been through various advertising courses and had a book together and if their book was good enough they were able to get you know placements at agencies and it had been stopped during um, COVID because you know obviously no one was in agencies so young teams didn't have people to learn from but then we were coming out of that so we were looking to start it again but I thought rather than just continuing it how it, how it had been, it would be good to do something that opens up that avenue into advertising that, you know, that most people wouldn't get a chance to do, you know, if you aren't able to financially put yourself through ad school. And when I talked to Tony, he was like, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd love to be involved. I'm going to stop doing Watford. Um, and I think actually being back in advertising agency, like for you to mm. sort of see how much he loved it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, he loved being in this environment and he sort of said to me, oh, I've never felt more creative because I think, you know, rather than being in a sort of university in, in yeah. 
on the outskirts in Watford, you're actually in it and you're around people every day coming up with ideas. And, you know, obviously he was really committed to the students on the barn, but, you know, when they were working on briefs, he would just wander around and talk to all the creatives. Obviously, we also have some other ex-Watford creative teams here. But, you know, he would just walk up and chat to everyone and be like, oh, what are you working on? And, you know, he'd write a headline or he'd have an idea for something or, you know, he'd just have a way of sort of elevating it. Um, and you could see, I think he just loved people and he just loved being around people. And, um, yeah, so, no, it was it was amazing. I, it was a bit, you know, when we were talking about it, I wasn't sure, you know, how, how it was going to turn out. But, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing for the agency. It was great having all these, you know, young, enthusiastic students in every day. And, yeah, and I think and just Tony's influence on, on the agency, you know, not just in the creative department, but he would chat to everyone, you know, and... and sort of evident at his funeral there were, there were people from bbh there who were from many different mm-hmm. departments you know production account management um security you know <laughs> um obviously victor was there yeah yeah it's um when i got chatting to his daughter ella she actually said that the security in their local audi are really upset oh. that he died so he, <laughs> he really would speak to yeah. anyone and uh, found anyone interesting you know yeah. found something interesting about them to talk about what a um, lovely talent of his I think it's, that was it, actually. He did have something different in common with, with different people. Mm. Um, you know, like, obviously, Nick Gill here, they would, like, just mm. talk about foreign cinema, you know, their love of, like, foreign film. Um, you know, I t- talked to him about theatre and his kids, you know, talked to someone else about, like, holiday destinations. Um, he, he just had such a sort of an eclectic, you know, taste of, of culture. And I think that's another thing. And also, also as we sit here in the in the barn and you just look around uh, like this I always sort of said like this room was like the most creative room in the agency Mm -hmm. yeah he's got obviously all lots of old ads and you know really interesting art direction styles and copywriting but then as I look around there's some pictures of sexy Jesus that's been catching my eye um, this whole time (laughs) screaming Lord such and you know lots of just funny you know, bits of writing and things about film. And that was also something at Watford and and the barn. And I think just like his, that he would do in general is just like absorb all culture and just be like constantly feeding on film and comic books and TV shows. And I think like just having that voracious appetite to consume culture. And I think that was the whole thing about staying relevant. Um, And, you know, he was still very relevant at 66. He went to, you know, his evenings were full of things. He'd, he'd, he'd go on his own to gigs. He'd go and see theatre, go to the cinema all the time. Um, he, he just did so many things, so many interests. There's some of the paperwork we got at the very start of the course when he introduced it gave us a long list of things and then you know ranging from the Beano to Spike Milligan to you know classical composers and you know you get to the end of this sort of almost a full page and then it says that'll get you about five percent there you know mm. he was so open to to, mm. to a whole range of things um I was going to say as well that legacy he would leave by continuing to bring ex-students back in whether it was going to visit agencies around London or or, or wider um, but actually having mentors as well so Dan and I mentored the students I think you've done it a few times as well Helen haven't you I'm not sure yeah we all have we all have here yeah we've all given a little bit back um, and whether it was just through coming and talking through your own experience or setting a brief and critting it in front of them or um, 
Tony and I shared a love for sort of um, pranks at, uh, <laughs> during April Fool's Day. Mm. So we always could, you know, do the brainstorm a load and I'd go away and make them and, and with him. Um, and then he'd sort of show the students that, you know, if you, you follow through with an idea, you make it, then it can become something greater. But I remember one time he said, I want to tell everyone that we found Van Gogh's ear that he cut off. Oh, my God. So um, that then, obviously, I then went to the local market that sold a load of sort of dog treats, and I bought about eight different animal ears. Imagine getting caught with that. Sort of delivered them to him, and so So like, which one? Pig, pig pig Van Gogh, rabbit, goat, whatever. And I sort of, I was just like, what am I doing? I'm just just (laughs) go on Amazon and get a fake ear. Just wouldn't have that it sense of really oh, reality, wow, you know. So yeah. yeah, he liked the uh, you know wouldn't have the grease in there in the hair. Oh, you know? okay. So, yeah. Particular smell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he was yeah he was it's just all about context, right? He was just yeah. loving that. He was loving like oh here we are looking at ears. This is bonkers, but mm. you know that that sort of mischievous grin he had. There was definitely at the barn as well. It was like love to foster that sense of mischievousness, and there was a brief um, each year that was to the students to this week you've got to become famous Mm. um so the first year sim and katie they uh set up outside the houses of parliament when it was boris was sort of being um interviewed about party gate and they set up like a a, a sort of a party outside of um parliament and got in all the newspapers and then Last year, Marlon and Aisha, they created a 100% British non-colonial crown during right. the coronation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's made purely of, like, British rocks. Right. Than, obviously, all the jewels it that the shit. actual coronation <laughs> crown is, is stolen from various countries. Um, and they went to outside Buckingham Palace during the coronation and we just, you know, had it in this, like, Perspex box and all of the, na- you know, sort of multiple nations... Um, you know, news crews were there and interviewing them. And so I think like that idea of like having an idea, making it and then doing something fun and putting yourself out there and not worrying too much was, yeah, yeah great. There was one team that just stood in the Tate Modern and put a ping pong ball in their mouth. That was Doug and McCall. There you go. And yeah. uh, they got in the papers for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's quite crazy, that one was. So often with Tony, speaking to him, you never knew if he was telling the truth or a lie. Mm. I found I'd come away from a conversation thinking I, I need to I need to look all this stuff up because I don't know if it's it's real or not. Um, that yeah. Would it often be real. Uh, it would. All, uh, there was a, a element of reality, but he had sort of twisted it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I found. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he um he he liked also to to make people feel uncomfortable, but in a in a sort of a a good way. I guess kind of um like. Uh, it sounds wrong, doesn't it? <laughs> no, no, he, no, I know what you mean. He was quite at ease with an uncomfortable silence, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah. Cause, uh, so for the past six years, I lived on the next door street to him, so I'd see him all the time. And so often he'd just, just be um, sort of shouting up at my window from the street and my neighbours must have thought, who's this, who's this madman? And I'd go down and I'd, I'd talk to him on the doorstep. And, just, you know, often often these conversations go on and on and on and on and then, I mean, we never ran out of things to say, but I often had to get inside, and I'd, I, you know, I'd end up just closing the door on him. And <laughs> still talking from the other yeah, side. Yeah. We'd go for lo- lots of walks, and he'd often um, hold hands or put his arm oh. around me. Uh, we'd go to the local playground, and he'd want to climb trees, and he'd he'd um, he'd, he'd often sit on the swing and say, "Tom, Tom, can you push me? Um, I, I want it to look like you're my carer." Oh, God. <laughs> oh yeah. 
Beautiful. He, he climbed trees, movies. didn't he, and stuff, but he couldn't get down, so he had to pick, pick him up out the yeah. trees, didn't you? Yeah, he, he was always right. Always right going up, but I was always a little worried um, when he I'd came down. You were kind of like a carer, afar. weren't you? <laughs> yeah, I was. So, <laughs> so he's on a qualified job. Is he was actually a carer for Tony? Yeah, there you, you go. Know. Did you get paid for that? Was it like voluntary or? Right? <laughs> he paid me by educating me. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Um, one thing that just popped into my head that I remember was. Um, when you're on the circuit and you're getting placements, people used to say, there's the Watford book. And um, that would tend to be sort of eight to ten campaigns, but at least three posters for each. And even, you know, in the later days, it was like, if you've got an idea, great. Can you? How often can you execute it to? Where can you stretch it? But his heart was always pen and paper, posters, get those done. And, and actually, I know a few teams that didn't even really go that far with the way they crafted the art direction it was purely you know one one team I met with it was it was scamped work mm-hmm. um, and they'd change it a lot and they'd um, you know depending on wh- who they were speaking to which agency which ECD they'd customize the, the ideas to a little bit you know to a degree but yeah that love for print I think he was always there for him mm. yeah because you know it's the purest form of communication it's what you you drilled into your head at the start you know get straight onto a poster only then will you know if if the idea is clear, communicate because it's three seconds flat that someone could register a poster, you know, because people have short attention spans, as we all know in London. Uh, so that's kind of what you drill into you. But I, I think it's still gospel with anything really. Mm-hmm. Everything you need to get your things through poster format, and we all seem to forget that. I think one thing I always like love talking to Tony partly was to remind myself of what I learned because it's so easy to forget what you've been taught. You start like doing slides instead of scamps, you know, or you might just not, you know, forget about insights and just try and write a witty headline in a social post, but not think insightfully of what that is to- with that audience, well, it's, which audience it's talking to. So I think I, I felt like very lucky, um, blessed to be able to talk to him all the time because he kind of remi- kind of reminded me how I should be working in the industry. Uh, but yeah, like traditionally. P- Posters are the purest form, but that's the way. I mean, right now, look, it's all it's all kind of poster media on the walls, isn't it? The whole whole room Badly is. Timed bonus preach. Is also talk about <laughs> talk, talk about preaching it, preaching the gospel here. We're just surrounded by posters. Yeah. I mean, even you've got. I, I know no one's noticed that that was a famous uh, famous BBH thing. They sexualized ice cream. That was for um, Harvard Dash. Yeah, yeah, right up there, which was a um, famous poster campaign in the eighties. So like. Stuff like that, you're surrounded by it. And it, it literally, this is what you'll learn. But imagine all these are scamps, mm. essentially. Mm-hmm. That's basically, the, that's that's what I mean. That's your yeah. right yeah. I think that's the thing. And definitely at the beginning of Watford and the Barn, it was, you know, when you're answering briefs, you have to do it in a post format. Because I think the hardest thing to do is to be simple. Mm-hmm. You know, too often you, you might think you're being too clever or coming up with a complicated idea and there's a few steps to get to it but obviously in a post day it just has to be really simple and get it immediately this is probably the hardest podcast that i've had to bring to an end because uh, we could talk about this all day long but i just want to say thank you Boo. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but i want to say thank you give me an excuse for... to stay away from work <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, could, I could add one thing which might okay, sound like a nice you, you can um, finish it off at the funeral, um, mm. the the uh, vicar that ran it was a close friend of the family, and um, and I'm right in saying at the end he almost you know linked Tony and compared him to Jesus <laughs> in the fact that you know 
he was there for everyone he nurtured them he understood them and um, changed lives for the better mm-hmm. and uh, and I often still find myself thinking you know what would Tony say what, what would Tony do mm-hmm. you know that still sits with me now every time I sit there with a blank piece of paper you know it's he's still on my shoulder that's uh, just one, one last thing I just want to say one one last thing right and I'll say this I think I want to say this this is stuck in my head for the podcast and everything I, I think I think Tony people who should say that Watford was a cult well it I think one thing I had a discussion with Tony Watford isn't a cult it's an attitude right. I think everyone everyone you know the way you think the way you write the energy of passion you put through it you're fueling Watford through you and I think people need to be reminded is that everyone uh, could be the next Tony in the way they think and do I think mean, that's kind of an attitude that you should take on. Mm. And I think that, that sort of spirit of learning through Tony, that thinking process could be passed on. And I think it's I think it's a duty for all alumni to keep teaching and training students way on way way after this, mm-hmm. you know, with Barn and everything. I mean, that's I think that's if that's a call to action on this podcast, I think you've just got to carry on mm. teaching and fueling people with that attitude, that mindset of energy and passion and covering paper. When Tony um did the first graduation of well, did the graduation of the first barn? He had some advice to them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's quite. So he did did a speech, and it was yeah, there was it was the graduation, so it was the first um, lot of the barn, and he had some advice for them going forward. So there was like five bits of advice that he had. So the first one was that no one is better than you. People can be more eloquent, articulate um, in arguing an argument, uh, have more experience, might know their way around an agency a little bit more, like the, the logistics, the politics. But he said um, they're no better than you, so bear that in mind. Then the second thing he said is like, don't ever chase the money. Uh, he would get calls every day from ex-students saying that they were really ha- unhappy at the agencies they were in, but they were just sort of stuck there by by the golden handcuffs. Um, that their salary was such that they, they couldn't get another job. Um, so he said, like, people tend to price themselves out of a market. And if you if you chase the opportunities, whatever money you require will come your way. So don't chase the money. Um, chase the opportunity. Third thing he said was to support each other. You know, we've kind of touched on it here, but, like, the, the Watford alumni, like, you know, people, ex-Watford people always have reunions. Um and that's happened throughout the years and he wanted the the barn students to carry that on and they have done like they're always a, also a really close knit group um but obviously it, it can be a tough business so wanted them to be there for each other support each other through this business if anyone needs help or there's a job opening at the agency you're at and someone needs a job then let them know and always stay in touch and meet regularly and help each other through this crazy business the fourth thing was you um, need to develop your creative pursuits outside of advertising. And he actually quoted John Hegarty and said, creativity is not an occupation, it's a preoccupation. Um, so always be creative in other areas, which again is something we sort of talked about. He was always like that and absorbing culture and, and having um, creative pursuits outside of the business. And then lastly, he said, you're in this, in this industry because it's fun. The moment it stops being fun, you need to do one of two things. You either change your attitude or change your job. If you stay in this business and have fun, then it won't feel like work. It really won't. So do have fun. That's all we have time for. If you'd like to learn more about what we've been discussing, then please visit our website, campaignlive.co.uk. Details of our subscriptions are available at campaignlive.co.uk forward slash membership. If you enjoyed this episode of the Campaign Podcast, please follow us, like us and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. A big thank you to Haymarket producer Till Owen and producer Aidan Lyons from Rethink Audio. And also to you for listening. 
I hope you'll join us next time. On behalf of the campaign team, goodbye.